Hello and welcome to the Bad Asian Podcast, the world's most inconsistent podcast where we start off talking about Asian things and we'll slowly devolve into self-indulgent thought exercises. We are <laughs> recording out of Canal Street Radio with our network, uh, Listening Party Presents. So please give them a follow on Instagram at Listening Party Presents and at Canal Street Market. Uh, I'm your host, David Nguyen. Emron cannot be here with us today. He is currently farming turmeric in India. So uh, when he gets back, we'll pick right up. Uh, but I do have a special guest. She is a writer for Polygon, uh, and she's also been featured in numerous publications. You name it, she's been on it. So New York Times, Vice, The Atlantic. Nope. Yeah, that's right. Nope. Yeah. Cool. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, without further ado, everybody, please welcome Karen Han. Hello. Thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. Tell people a little bit about yourself. I know you're originally from the Midwest, Illinois specifically. Uh, yeah, I was born in New York City, actually a oh. couple blocks from where I live right now. Um, but my family moved to Ithaca about a year after I was born. And then when I was around seven or eight, we moved to Illinois, which is where I mostly grew up. Um, and I studied art history for college uh, at Bryn Mawr. And I've kind of just tried to stay in fields that are at least like tangential to art since then. Like I've done visitor services in retail and museums or like development at a theater company. But right now um, I'm at Polygon after a string of contracts at some other, a few other publications like Vox.com and The Daily Beast and freelancing a bunch for, as I said, you mentioned. Um, so yeah, now uh, I mostly cover film, um, a little bit of TV, music, video games, but primarily film. How did you get into, you said you studied art history? Yeah. How did you get into art history? Um, art in general was something that I'd always really been into. Like all the extracurriculars I did were either music or like painting or drawing or stuff like that. And um, when it came time for me to decide what I actually wanted to study, or I, I ended up going to a liberal arts college purely because I knew that they had a good art history program because I was like, whatever I do, I want it to be something arts based and I'll have at least a sort of background to be able to jump off of that um, if I get into art history. Did you have that anxiety about how am I going to make money <laughs> or at least parents who have that I think anxiety? my parents definitely had more of that anxiety. Mm -hmm. Definitely when you're in school, I feel like you don't have that anxiety. But like now that I've graduated, it's much more like, oh, my God, what was I doing? I should have done comp sci. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, were your parents immigrants? Uh, yeah, both of them for South from South Korea. Um, and my dad actually went back to Korea a few years ago because he got a job at Seoul National University. So he's there now. Um, so yeah, I'm the first and only, I think, of my family so far to be born outside of South Korea. Oh, uh, you're the only child? Yeah, of, of my family, yeah. Wow, okay. Uh, so immigrant parents, did they have that typical immigrant Asian parent thing where they wanted you to get into doctor, lawyer, engineer, does them feel <laughs> not as extremely, but there, there was like the t stereotypical pressure of like, you should be getting straight A's or mm -hmm. go to an Ivy league and things like that. Um, but there was never like, you have to become a doctor or anything. So I feel so, lucky in that regard. Did you ever have to marry a doctor? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I do feel like there was a while, like it took a a little bit we never talked about it explicitly but it took a while for them to be like oh she might not marry an asian man oh, like okay. i think that was the I see. was it first it's like oh she might not marry a korean man it's like oh crap it might not be an asian man <laughs> i think so there was a time when my right. mom was like you know like chinese boys are really great too <laughs> yeah. and i was like oh, okay <laughs> they have their redeeming qualities <laughs> okay uh so what was the uh did you grow up around a lot of asians um, not really. Champagne definitely has a Korean community, especially, um, like 
Korean Christians, but my parents aren't religious, so we never went to the church or anything like that. Um, and the kids that I was in school with, like there were Asian kids, but it was very, it's the kind of thing where when you're growing up in America, you're not really, you don't really think about race until a certain point mm-hmm. um, when it starts kind of being introduced to you by other people or other adults. And uh, that was kind of the case because I was very sheltered. I went to a, a laboratory high school, so we were all huge nerds and like not <laughs> really. Like you guys even know you were nerds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it wasn't, yeah, I didn't really have many Korean friends and my mom is still like happy whenever I do make them make Korean friends now. She's like, oh, that's so great. Like, yeah, I'm so yeah, glad that yeah. you have somebody. Yeah. It's Korean. Like someone who could teach you how to be Korean. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I feel like that's an anxiety too, where um, it's like whenever I go visit my family in Korea, it's like, do I speak Korean well enough? Because to my ears, I don't think I have an accent, but my parents have told me that my, it's my enunciation really that gives me away that mm-hmm. I still um, enunciate things in a way that's more akin to speaking English than speaking Korean. Are there Korean dialects? Because in Vietnamese, like if you're from the north, the center and the south, and then obviously like places in between, mm-hmm. there is, there's like distinct, like, oh, you have a northern accent, a southern right. accent or a central accent. Yeah. That, okay. Yeah, that's a real thing. Um, I, I think it's also like North Korean dialect also is a very distinct thing. Mm-hmm. And I think it, that also like factors into it. And like Southern Korea also sounds... The, the southern part of South Korea also has its own dialect. Um, uh, I, uh, the weird way to put it is like that's like the, the kind of redneck or boonies or oh, course, southern yeah, of yeah. America dialect. But yeah, that's generally how it is. Mine's very standard and non-interesting. Yeah. <laughs> With Vietnamese, it's uh, the north has the fancy accent. Oh. Uh, um, the south, it's more common in America because mm-hmm. most of the south, uh, the people who immigrated to America, yeah. a lot of them did come from the south. And then the central, where my dad's from, like yeah. that's considered the country accent. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So uh, I think because the major cities is like the capital of Vietnam is in the north. So, of course, they're going to be like the fancy ones. Like right. That. And also they're closer <laughs> to China. Yeah. So it's like, how convenient you guys are considering the yeah. fancy ones. I don't think there actually is a, a fancy Korean dialect mm-hmm. in the same way that like it's just like a standardized Korean dialect the way that it is for American English rather mm-hmm. than British English where there's a very clear like posh accent. I see. Uh, in, in relation to like uh, maybe Japan and China is mm-hmm. like how, how different is maybe the uh, Korean language is like completely different or can like people in... Uh, I guess neighboring right next to Korea, mm-hmm. like the Chinese, the Chinese part that's neighboring right next to Korea, is there like a, a another kind of fused language that is spoken hmm. up there? It's like, oh, this is like a mix of Korean and Chinese. I definitely don't know enough about linguistics to mm-hmm. properly answer this, but I know that I, I took Japanese during high school, and it was a lot easier for me to get a hold of it because I had already studied mm-hmm. uh, Korean. Because like the grammatical structures, some of them are the same, some of the words are the same. And the style of pronunciation is very much the same where there's not, it's very straightforward value usage. There's not a lot of like, yeah, or, mm-hmm. um, again, I don't have the proper oh, linguistic no, vocabulary for this, but, um, yeah, everything's like very clear cut in mm-hmm. terms of how, uh, the sounds are. Um, I think reading maybe is a little easier across all three, just cause like all three use the Chinese characters or kanji, mm-hmm. especially in newspapers to get points across more quickly. Um, but I never learned them. So <laughs> I have no leg up in that respect. Uh, two things I wanted to, uh, so you said your parents weren't religious. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know a lot of South 
uh, well, not necessarily South Koreans, but uh, just Korean people who are super Christian. Yeah. And it seems to be like on another level, maybe with the Filipinos who were like super Catholic. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know why so many Koreans are so heavy into Christianity? I don't really know. I've wondered about it, but never taken the time to actually yeah. research it. I like. I wonder if it's some sort of assimilation thing, um, or just because I know it's so huge yeah. to a degree that's like kind of weird for me as a person who's not uh, in that community at right. all. But I have no inkling. I see. Uh, and then second part is uh, growing up not around a lot of Koreans. Uh, did your parents expose you to like a lot? Obviously, a lot of. Korean culture, but like, how did you absorb that? Um, well, we visited Korea every summer while I was growing up when I had summer vacation. Oh, nice. So that was kind of the big thing because we would go for like two weeks and we would spend a week with my mom's family and we would spend a week with my dad's family. And that was really the big way that I um, kind of got my dose of Korean culture, like through osmosis in mm-hmm. that sense. Um, Otherwise, my mom did teach me Korean, um, even though I was, like, picking up on it as I was growing up just because, like, we spoke it in the household. Um, But she did try to actually make me learn the language properly, which I sort of did, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) I still, like, for instance, like, I can speak it pretty conversationally, but I couldn't do my job in Korean. I see. It's like, that's about the level. How did she feel when you told her you were uh, learning Japanese? Uh, fine. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think that stigma was very big, uh, at least for my family. But I do remember when we went to Japan on Mm -hmm. our class trip for uh, the language that I think my Japanese teacher was like, oh, like, just FYI, like, you don't have to mention that you're Korean. (laughs) And I was like, okay. (laughs) I was like, oh, okay. I I got it. I I meant more like, hey, uh, your parents were like, how come you're learning Japanese, well, you could be learning more That Korean. was such a more innocent <laughs> question than I answered. No, they were totally fine with it. Okay, yeah. for sure. Korean wasn't offered anyway. Okay. So. Uh, what are your memories of, like, going back to Korea? It's like, first off, it's like, as a kid, um, my mom tried to go, uh, get me to go back to Vietnam a lot, mm-hmm. but just, like, the idea, she couldn't sell it to me. Mm. So, oh, you want me to spend 14 hours on a plane to go to a third world country <laughs> where there's going to be bugs and I might have to like go to the bathroom in a hole yeah it's like where i could stay in america Mm. and watch cartoons all summer (laughs) yeah um i think i never was at a point where i thought i had a choice in it but i also didn't i also didn't not look forward to it um there was definitely there's definitely some adjusting that you have to go through because it's very different no matter what other country you're going to um and in that case it was just like knowing that there's going to be a lot of it's going to be very hot and Mm -hmm. there are going to be a lot of mosquitoes um, but I love the food so much. And really the only thing that necessarily got annoying or tiresome for me is when I was the oldest of my cousins on my dad's side and the youngest of my cousins on my mom's side. Mm-hmm. Um, so not necessarily having anyone to talk to who was my age mm-hmm. and kind of just having to sit still and be good until everyone was done talking. So Yeah, yeah. that's most uh, Asian experience. Yeah. <laughs> sit there until the parents are done. Yeah. Um, do you remember consuming a lot of Korean like entertainment? Um, how did you entertain yourself as a kid in Korea? In Korea, ironically, there's a lot of American or English language movies on TV. Oh. So that's what I would watch. I see. Um, but I was I really liked Korean game shows. So that's what I would watch if I wasn't if there weren't any movies on. Mm-hmm. Um, and like we'd watch 
Korean game shows and talk shows in America too, like at our local Korean grocery store, like the people there would um, videotape uh, the programs off the TV and we would rent like the VCRs and watch them every week. So that was fun. Now you're a little bit older, Mm -hmm. you're in America, you're consuming, it sounds like a lot of regular entertainment, like American entertainment. Um, When did you kind of start to pursue the arts a little bit more? Like, do you remember people like uh, reinforcing, it's like, oh, you know, Karen has talent, you should pursue this a little bit more. Uh, In terms of my current career? Uh, No, not necessarily. It's just like uh, to help shelter uh, and reinforce, it's like... um, I'll, I'll say this is like when I was a kid, I, I used to draw a lot. Mm-hmm. And so I would sign up for art classes. Yeah. Uh, and then teachers would say, oh, David, you're really good at drawing. You should, you know, do this, this and this. And yeah. Like, okay. But um, <laughs> but I was only interested in comic books mm-hmm. and cartoons, but they wanted me to like study like European art. Right. Like I had no interest in that. So I never pursued it any further. Yeah. And then people would be telling me to do other things that is related to art, but mm-hmm. not necessarily the art that I like. So you should be an architect. It's like, that's not, <laughs> that's not cool. It's not related to what I wanted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. But for yourself, I, I was just wondering, like, because you seem to have like uh, an interest in art, it's mm-hmm. like what kind of art were you interested in? And do you remember people around you kind of supporting that? Maybe not not necessarily your parents mm-hmm. or, or even if it was your parents. Um, yes and no. Like I had kind of the same experience where a teacher was like, oh, like you're good at drawing. Like you should do a little more drawing. Um, and which is how I ended up taking uh, illustration lessons like mm-hmm. outside of class. Um, and I remember I really liked them, but I, I guess I didn't, I wasn't passionate enough about it. Like I didn't really follow it. Um, even though at one point I was like, oh yeah, I really want to go work for like Pixar or Studio Ghibli, but um, it just wasn't something that I guess I was passionate enough about. Um, and with regards to any other kinds of art, I think there was always kind of a fear that if you're not like straight out of the gate perfect, mm-hmm. then there's no point in really pursuing it. So, exactly. Yeah. That, yeah. Which is still like a huge fear that I have. I think it's a huge fear that everybody has. Like, yeah. Do you have imposter syndrome? I don't think so in my job, but like there's a part of me that like I really want to like make a movie and that's like the big point where I'm like, if I can't make something that'll like win an Oscar right away, (laughs) then what's the point of making a movie? It's like if I don't get those sundance. Yeah, exactly. If I don't get the little leaves, I might as well retire. (laughs) Yeah. You decided to go into art Mm -hmm. history. Okay. Uh, What is art history exactly? Um, honestly, it's learning that you can make any argument about art that you want as long as you have some proof to back it up. Like, mm-hmm. that was really the big thing that I learned. Um, like, it, it's kind of, it's a, a lot of art history is kind of as dry as you think it's going to be, where you study a lot of art theory and, like, European art and classical mm-hmm. art. Um, but it's once you get past, like, your 100-level classes and you start figuring out how to apply those principles to everything else, that it starts being really fun. Like, I wrote my senior thesis on The Adventures of Tintin, the graphic novel series by mm-hmm. Hergé, which I didn't think was going to be what I was going to do. Like, for a while, I was like, I'm going to write it on Van Gogh. That's, like, that's what I'm going to do, and that's going to be my classical art history thesis, which is not to rag on Van Gogh because I love him. But uh, I, that was kind of the big thing that, I took out of that program and also that has helped me in my current career where it's like I just have to be able to articulately express what I'm thinking. I see. 
Does art his is art history as white as it sounds? <laughs> Honestly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when I started right after I moved to New York, I worked at the moment at the Whitney and Visitor Services, which was really enlightening because you got to see a lot of st other stuff happening in the museum. Number one, there's like no lateral movement be between departments. Like everyone who was in visitor services with me also had some kind of arts background. It was like, I love the arts. I want to work in it somehow. I want to like help run this museum. But it's like everyone who is already a part of the institution, as soon as they see that you're coming in at this ground level, that's all they're going to see you as. And it's so like money-based. Uh -huh which is the kind of big thing about museums that I was like, oh, this actually sucks and I don't want to work in museums anymore. Yeah. It's like, it's so much about the money. One of the <laughs> things that I remember about one of my museum experiences is that as I was, as my contract was ending, as we were leaving, there was a really big uh, kind of union negotiation going on. They actually did a strike because they were trying to like cut healthcare from their employee benefits and being like, you have to pay for this too. And a lot of stuff like that. And it kind of happened around the same time that we discovered that like the director of the museum had a wardrobe budget, like apart from his actual salary, which yeah. is already astronomical. And we were like, what are you talking about? Like he, ha you give him the money already yeah. to buy these things. Yeah to basically just talk to the old white people who invest in this museum, which is important. You need money to run these institutions, but it's so much about the money and not as much as you want it to be about the art. What was his wardrobe like? It was like suits and ties. Suits like, and, and not in a really interesting way. Yeah. I thought it was like, you know, just borrowing the clothes from the exhibit. Like straight from the <laughs> yeah. runway. Yeah, no. Uh, so they had a strike. How lit were those picket signs? Um... They're okay. Uh, what? That's so disappointing. I know. Yeah. They're all right. Um, I think the real thing was that we one of them happened, like, right outside. There was, like, a big garden party that mm -hmm. they did, and we were like, we're going to strike outside this. And they did, and you could, like, hear the chants from inside the garden, which was the point, and which was pretty rad. Did um, they win? I, I don't remember, because I didn't really keep tabs on it after I left. I see. Um, but I'll say uh, part of the... I've... The, the, the strike signs were okay. okay. Yeah, they're all right. <laughs> uh, when did you start writing? Um, I'd always written a little bit. Like, I took a couple of film classes when I was in college, mm -hmm. so I had a little bit of very academic experience writing about film. Um, but it was at the last day job that I had prior to getting any writing gigs where I was like, this is not what I want to be doing and I need to find some other way of engaging with the arts and engaging with pe other people who feel the same way about art that I do, which is when I started writing for free. Um, and I was very, very lucky to be able to have like a day job to support myself and do this at the same time because I started writing just on my blog and then I started writing for a site for free and then I started getting smaller assignments and then working up from there. Do you remember your first piece? Uh... No, I've, some of them are still like extant, but I locked all of them because mm -hmm. I was like, no one can see my terrible <laughs> first writings anymore. Um, yeah, it, I mean, it, I, I felt like I had more license to write about stuff that wasn't current then. So a so. lot of it was about movies that I'd seen a long time ago or stuff that I'd seen a few years ago, at least, and just thoughts that I'd had about them since then. What was the motivation? It's like, were you reading other reviews that didn't necessarily, that you found, like, hey, this is it not being covered, that kind of moved you to write hmm. your own? I think it was just that I really enjoyed reading criticism. Mm -hmm. Like I remember through college, like college was the point where I really started seeking out criticism to read and where I like found who I would always read, like no matter what they were writing about or where they were writing. Um, and it also struck me 
as a good way of just getting my thoughts about the art out and learning how to articulate what I felt about art um, and pra- just practicing what I had learned in college as well as um, sort of starting a discussion. Like in some ways, media is very one-sided because you, once you put something out there, you don't really have to engage with anybody who is consuming it. But um, that's kind of one of the things that I like about Twitter, which is a weird thing to say because I think everyone agrees that Twitter is terrible. But it it's, used to be so fun. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I still feel like in some ways, as long as you know how you want to use the platform, it's a good thing. Because like, I like talking to people about what they thought about a movie or whatever. And um, doing it through criticism is... I, I guess one of the ways that I decided that I wanted to do that. Now that you write mm-hmm. uh, about TV and movies, um, do you ever like watch something just knowing that I'm not going to have to write about this so that you can just enjoy for <laughs> like the entertainment value and not necessarily like, can you turn it off at any point? I think so. Um, it's, it's, I, I find it like harder to do now. And it's, it's mostly because also because I have much less time to watch something that I won't be writing about. Um, but, um, really it's the mark of when something's really good that I find myself not thinking about those things at all. I see. Oh, do you ever watch anything like that? That's terrible. Like, <laughs> like say, do you ever watch like 90 day fiance? Just like, <laughs> I know there's like no value to this, but it's like, I, I do so much work <laughs> um, throughout my day. No, I've been trying to, in that sense, I've been just been trying to find, like, shorter TV to watch. Not necessarily, like, reality TV or whatever, but, like, my boyfriend's really into JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, and so sometimes I'll just be like, what if we, let's just watch another episode of that, because they're, like, 20 minutes long, Mm -hmm. and it's just something that I don't necessarily critically have to engage with, and it's just fun to watch. Listening to you uh, break down movies, Mm -hmm. it's like, how do you keep it all in your head? Like, you're able to, like, (laughs) reference as, like, directors and, like, their their style and then you you have specific uh, you pull specific movies like mm-hmm. how is your like how does your brain work in that regard <laughs> like I, th- does it just like come naturally it's like it's on yeah it mostly does i mean it's i think it's the same if you like if you're really really passionate about anything like people who love music they know everything there is to know about music off the back of their hand they're like these are the five albums you should listen to if you really want to get into prog rock or okay. whatever they already know and that's kind of the thing for me at least with film criticism too where i'm like i there are things that I'm I'm passionate about within film and that stuff that I'll always know. I mean, but there are also a lot of other areas of film that I don't know anything about and like do actively have to work to educate myself on, which is a a constant journey. What are the aspects of film that you're most passionate about? Mm, I guess I'm really into music and I guess I'm generally, I'm also a lot more familiar with more contemporary filmmakers. Mm -hmm. Um, also right now like my big thing is just telling everyone to go see Parasite when it comes out in October because I love the work of Bong Joon-ho the mm-hmm. Korean South Korean director um, and I have for such a long time now um, what else did that person make? he's done uh, The Host not the Stephanie Meyer movie um, Okja which was the big Netflix thing from a couple years ago Memories of Murder uh, Mother Barking Dogs Don't Bite um, see like just rattle it off <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, because I've, I've watched all of them just because I love him so much. Uh-huh. And yeah, Parasite is so good. That's one of the instances where, like, as I was watching it, I didn't think, I nothing in my head was, like, thinking, like, oh, how am I going to write about this later? It was just like, oh, my God, this is so good. Okay. Uh, you saw the trailer to Parasite? I, I did. Imagine? Okay. Yeah. Does, is a movie different from the trailer? Because the way the trailer was cut was very ominous. Um, I think it's a little different in that 
the good thing the good thing about Bong Joon Ho is like he's very facile or he's very, he has a great facility with tone so he switches between stuff that's like horrible and stuff that's hilarious within seconds so the movie's a lot funnier mm-hmm. than the trailer lights on but there's also so much more to it um, at this year at Cannes both he and Quentin Tarantino were the two directors who were like please don't spoil our movie for anybody else. Right. And everyone ragged on Tarantino for it. <laughs> and like nobody paid attention to the fact that Fong did it, which was hysterical to me. But also I think way more warranted for Parasite because the way that that plays out, it really is so much better if you don't know what's happening. And the trailer does a pretty good job of keeping it under wraps. Okay. Uh, what are some of your more favorite i guess genres of movies or do you have like specific movies that you just gravitate a little bit more or like just perk your interest uh i i generally like everything Uh um the thing that a lot of my friends like to razz me about is that i love movies that do a lot not necessarily movies that are good but movies that like just go for it like i there was a uh gore verbinski movie called a cure for wellness that I think is really good, but most of the people were like, what the fuck is happening in this movie? Just because it's so long, it's so big, there's so much happening. It's the same way that I felt about like Mortal Engines, the Peter Jackson produced movie that's just about cities that are turned into giant cars and like roll around and eat each other. And everyone's like, I don't understand what's happening. But I was like, the thing is, it's going for it. And uh, I love that. I see. Yeah. Like, things that are a little bit more avant-garde, just, <laughs> like something a little bit more different. My... My ethos, I think, is, like, if you try to do something really ambitious and fail, mm-hmm. that's still more interesting to me than doing something boring well. I see. Yeah. What's an example of something that's boring but, like, <laughs> done well? I mean, I guess, like, the Marvel movies. I, I oh, That's oh. probably... I, people no. don't like to hear no, that. that's fair. But it's just, like, they're fine, but yeah. they're not interesting to me. Yeah. No, that's a fair assessment of yeah. that. Because, like, my favorite movie of the year... I haven't watched a, a lot of movies this year. Yeah. I, I don't think as much as you have. <laughs> Uh, but it's like uh, my favorite movies this year is Endgame. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then The Farewell. <laughs> it's God, like the it, Farewell's so good. It's so great. Yeah. Uh, I cried so much watching oh, that movie. Oh, okay. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I've been meaning to uh, talk to somebody about that movie uh, because I watched it in, I forgot what movie theater, but like there were a bunch of Asian people yeah. in the showing, which is great because it's rare that I have that experience. Because a lot of times when I go and watch movies, it's very mixed. And even watching it like back home in San Jose, yeah. where it's a lot of Asian people, it's, it's never like almost all Asian people, mm-hmm. you know. And when I was watching that movie, it's like it's one of those things that I never experienced where certain jokes that I thought were just you know you only like you only understand it really if you're you're Asian. Yeah. So like the last people laugh at like at the right time for yeah. the right reasons, you know? And then afterwards, uh, I was looking around and I saw people uh, crying, mm-hmm. mainly women crying. Like, ah, <laughs> oh, dudes. It's like, oh, that was really good. But like, I, I, I think it like really resonated with like a lot of uh, Asian women mm-hmm. uh, for obvious reasons. But uh, yeah, what was it like for you to watch that? Um, I was talking to one of my friends about it earlier and the thing that he said was, Crazy Rich Asians walked so that the farewell could run, <laughs> which I felt so keenly was true because like everyone's like, this is our real big Asian representation moment. And I was like, it's true in so much as there are a lot of Asian people in it, uh-huh. but I don't look at that and think, 
my experiences line up with this movie at all. I see. Not just because I'm not in that social, like the economic bracket, <laughs> um, but also, but like, stuff in the farewell. It's stu- like you were saying, it's stuff that you can't necessarily articulate or verbalize, mm-hmm. and stuff that you just innately take for granted as part of your culture, your upbringing. That Lulu Wang is like so subtly bringing out and making visible, mm-hmm. or. Um, it's like if I didn't know how to describe the color red and you were, and you were like, oh, you mean like red and you just had the word for it. And it's like, oh, holy shit. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. Um, l- like the scene between uh, Aquafina and uh, her uncle and father where they're like, the idea of like what you owe other people is so different in the East than it is in the West. Like you, in the East, like you, you your life is part of this bigger whole. Like you're responsible for all these other people. Whereas yeah. in the West, like the idea of owing it to yourself is so much more prominent. Right. Uh, what I liked about that movie is uh, there was like this sense of Asianness because yeah. it's like a, it's specifically almost a Chinese movie. Yeah, like it, it hap it happens in China. Mm-hmm. Most of the movie happens speaking Chinese. Yeah, but I think there's like a level of Asianness that uh, people who are Asian understand. Yeah, it to be uh, and maybe like predominantly East Asian and that. Yeah. I don't know how like South Asians feel about it, <laughs> uh, to be honest. But you know, just like I said, like that one scene where. Um, the the grandma was talking to that handsome doctor (laughs) she just lit up like a christmas tree uh that was one of those parts where like the the room erupted in laughter yeah i I wonder if like general audiences would pick up on why that's so funny right you know like it's funny but there there's more to it than that yeah Yeah. because i think it's just like one of those experiences that everybody (laughs) can recall yeah it just lits up yeah yeah um but yeah, so like uh, those two movies were my favorite for like di- completely different reasons. <laughs> it's like uh, I think one of it is just because uh, that Endgame was just like such a boys yeah. type of movie. Like, <laughs> oh, I'm a boy. This is like this hits everything that yeah. I like. <laughs> it's like it's familiar. It's uh, I did cry watching yeah. Endgame, which I was like mad at myself about. I was like, <laughs> I can't believe Marvel made me cry. But anyway, yeah. Um, I mean, maybe Marvel wouldn't. Uh, like if there wasn't like twenty two of them doing yeah. the same thing over and over, people would feel a little bit differently. But yeah, if they didn't have a plan for every movie they were going to release for the next five years, mm-hmm. it wouldn't scare me. But as it is right now, I'm like, this is, I'm kind of frightening. <laughs> um, how did you develop your uh, writing talents? Like, did you were like there are people you studied, or because I don't know if you studied like how to write and review movies in college no not really everything um and this is something that i struggle with a little bit in my current writing like everything that i wrote during college was very academic and very essay style like to the point that sometimes my editor like a couple times my editor will be like you need to make this a little more fun (laughs) less dry um but the the but the kind of criticism that i would seek out and read in the critics that i enjoy reading are much more um, kind of brought in that way because mm-hmm. one of the big things about art and art history that I learned while I was in college is that it's a field with so many gatekeepers already built in and it's kind of your job to make sure that that doesn't hinder anyone else from coming in mm-hmm. and that's part of film criticism, criticism too I think where it's like there's some references that I might take for granted where um, like I'll reference a filmmaker and be like oh you know what I mean when I say this movie's like that filmmaker's work but not everyone will so I have to be able to explain what I mean mm-hmm. um, more broadly as well. Like I have to be able to make it so that it's not boring or inaccessible for somebody else to read. I see. Um, and then how, what is it? Let's see. How am I trying to phrase this? Cause uh, 
leading up to interviewing you, I was just mm-hmm. trying to um, study up on you a little bit more. So I was like, listening to a bunch of podcasts, oh. trying to find <laughs> you on some YouTube yeah. videos. And it seems to me like the space is the, uh, dominated by predominantly like white dudes. Yeah. Uh, ha- have you noticed that uh, changing a little bit more or is it still like the trajectory is going to stay where it's at? Um, I think it's changing, but very slowly. I think the thing that's difficult is that a lot of the most visible uh, positions mm-hmm. aren't necessarily ones that like cycle out, like uh, in, like political office. Like they're mm-hmm. not changing every one to four years right. because they have to. Like people who have those jobs, if I had that job, I'd stay in it forever. So yeah, like, yeah. why would they leave? Yeah. Um, and it's also difficult just because uh, the way that media and the internet is, there's just such a proliferation of voices. It's mm-hmm. hard to read all of them mm-hmm. or find somebody in specific unless you know that you, that's the person that you're looking for. I see. Does um, that answer your question? A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, even if it doesn't, it's like, uh, it's a good answer. <laughs> uh, do you have, do you find it like hard to like, uh, watch movies and then do you always get fatigued by like, having to talk about it? No, not really. The only thing that gets fatiguing if I have is if I if I have to watch more than like three in a day, uh-huh. which only happens during festivals. So usually I'm fine with it. Uh-huh. And uh, I guess there's one other instance in which it gets tiring, which is that if it's the if there's only one movie that everyone's talking about, like I was kind of worried about like Joker <laughs> coming out because it should be. It looks, yeah, it looks <laughs> not just because of the content of the movie, uh-huh. but because people are incessantly talking about it. Where like in some cases that will it's hard not to let that affect your judgment where mm-hmm. it's like, I'm just so tired of hearing about this. Okay. Um, but the couple instances is in which that's happened in the past, luckily like haven't been a problem for me either because I haven't had to write about them or yeah. I don't know. Do you get, uh, are you one of the people who get screeners or do you like have to go out of pocket to a movie theater? Uh, I get invited to screenings. Mm-hmm. Um, so usually it's fine. Oh, What's that like getting to watch free movies all the time? <laughs> Do they give you the popcorn as well? It depends on the movie. Uh, There's kind of a broad joke where uh-huh. it's like if they give you free concessions, then you know the movie's going to be bad because that's <laughs> their way of like buttering you up. Um, it's not always true, uh-huh. but sometimes it is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. Do you walk in with like a notebook or are you on your cell phone? I used to have a notebook Mm -hmm. that I would take notes in. Um, I don't anymore. And sometimes I wonder if I should, but my general thinking has been if there's something that is that imperative to me in the movie, then I will remember it. Mm -hmm. So. Okay. All right. So uh, what do you do for fun? (laughs) Because it's like what you do (laughs) for work is how I like relax. Yeah. Uh, and I'm pretty sure you still watch movies just to relax and yeah. unwind, watch television and whatnot too. But like, it seems like uh, your your job on the surface mm-hmm. looks super fun. Yeah, and I'm sure it's fun. It is. Uh, but like, what do you do outside of that? Or do you ever feel like you have to get away from it? Yeah, sometimes it's fatiguing. Like there are definitely times when I've come home and I've been like, I finally have the time to watch something that I don't have to write about, mm-hmm. but I don't want to watch anything yeah. right now. Um, weirdly one of the ways that I've gotten away from it is like watching TV because uh-huh. I've my work at Polygon is have skewers pretty heavily towards movies so um, like if I there's some TV that I'm really excited about then I'll just watch that because I'll be like I know I'm going to enjoy it and I don't have to write about it mm-hmm. um, otherwise I do play some video games I recently started doing pottery lessons which is fun like little ceramics um, I if I can get friends together, board games, yeah. um, and otherwise kind of just getting out of the city if I can. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a big nature person? 
Uh, I like being around it. I don't. I'm not necessarily like a camping person. What but about I like glamping. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Get me up in that glamping. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what was I gonna say? Uh, so now that you're, uh, so you went from a kind of an environment where there's like not a lot of Asian people. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you ever? Sur- uh, do you ever find yourself like around a lot of Asian people, or is like what is your kind of? day-to-day life like like because for me it's like i i grew up around both exclusively asians Mm -hmm. so like that's what i gravitate towards yeah Uh, of course i do have friends who are not asian but like i i just find that the people oh i I have a white friend (laughs) 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 Uh, but i seem to like always gravitate towards them Mm -hmm. Uh, i think just out of comfort and accessibility Uh, i just wondering like for like the, the People who I've talked to who like don't grow up mm-hmm. in a homogenized society, they tend to feel more comfortable or, around like non-Asians, and then after a while, like they have a breakthrough mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, okay, I found like another tribe that I kind of belong to, but also yeah. feel disassociated with them at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is your kind of like environment like? Um pretty mixed i don't really know that many korean people i guess not as a result of not wanting to hang out with them Mm -hmm. or finding it easier to be around a more white uh culture Mm -hmm. but just again like media is diverse but not that diverse Mm -hmm. and also meeting people in new york is hard (laughs) honestly (laughs) um but there are times like there's there are some Korean people that I know like very peripherally and they'll like post Instagram stories of them like all hanging out making kimchi and mm-hmm. I'm like I don't know you well enough to DM you and be like hey can I come next time <laughs> yeah. but like I would like want that but yeah. I don't know how to get from A to B. Oh, I, I so, understand that completely. Yeah. yeah like, there's a bunch of people doing cool shit all the time. It's like, yeah. you know, I know you have my number. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, where was that? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, In fairness, she doesn't. Like, okay. we're, it's yeah. like that level of acquaintance, acquaintance. Right. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about current Korean um, entertainment? Because in the last couple of years, things have really accelerated. Yeah. Like, uh, I think K-dramas were always a thing especially yeah. like I'm a little older I'm 34 so but even in high school leading up through college it was like all like the the kids who were super into Asian culture yeah like they knew all the dope Korean <laughs> stuff yeah. and then me being Vietnamese it's just like um that's Korean stuff though <laughs> <laughs> let me know when Vietnamese people yeah. do dope shit yeah and then I'll get around to it um and then but like I, I'm seeing like more and more uh people getting into Korean culture especially mm-hmm. K-pop specifically yeah. Uh, and then, you know, Koreans have dope food. And mm-hmm. then as I think on YouTube, people are always traveling and Korea has become like one of those destination spots. Like, yeah. how are you viewing? Like, do you remember what Korean like popular culture was like as a kid? And then how do you view it now? I don't remember as much of it from when I was little. Like, I remember the K-pop of when I was a kid and it was very d- different. Like, it definitely wasn't. I don't even know how to describe it because I wasn't that familiar with mm-hmm. it, but it's definitely like, evolved into its own thing now. Like yeah. the level to which um, I just totally blanked on all the names of K-pop bands that are popular right now. Um, I wanted to say Big Bang, but they're not even that popular anymore. BTS. Yeah. B- <laughs> Blackpink. <laughs> yeah. I was just looking at the things right in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good cheat. Yeah, I was like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't really listen to it. Not because I don't want to, just because I was like, I don't, I'm so bad at listening to new music. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's crazy and really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I'm only really 
observant of it like in film just because uh-huh. that's the field that I'm in which is again why I'm excited for Parasite because it won the big prize at Cannes this year the mm-hmm. Palme d'Or and everyone was like maybe it has a chance at the Oscars and like I want it to win best foreign film and I feel like it doesn't really have any competition except maybe El Motivar but um, and I want it to win best picture so badly mm-hmm. not just because it's like a weird national pride thing mm-hmm. but because it's so good and no foreign film has ever taken that prize before, which seems crazy. Wait, what do you mean no foreign film has ever taken the like best oh, picture? I got it. Yeah. Got it, got it, got it. Um does it make you is there like more pride now that like uh, for yourself now that Korean culture is like hot? Or are you more like uh you know what? It's always been cool. <laughs> 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 A little bit of both, I guess. Like, I'm always really glad when something really breaks out. Like, mm-hmm. last year when uh, Lee Chang-dong's Burning was really big, mm-hmm. I, it just made me really happy. And I remember I was talking to one of the PR people who was on it, who's also uh, of Asian descent. And I remember I was like, dude, like, it's on the Academy shortlist. Like, how do you feel? He was like, I cried as soon as I saw it. And I was <laughs> like, what are you going to do if it actually gets nominated? And he was like, I'm going to go back to Korea and join the parade. <laughs> and I was like, I get it. I totally feel that. Yeah. Um, but it's also a thing of, like, I'm glad that it's being big because the th- objects that have broken through are so different that it makes it easier to express in some way that Asian culture, not just Korean culture, is not a monolith. Because mm-hmm. that's such a huge thing where everyone's like Asian culture, period. Yeah. And it doesn't take into account that like Vietnamese, Thai, Korean, Chinese, Japanese cultures are so vastly different. Yeah. And the fact, the fact that like, for instance, the farewell, mm-hmm. all the actors are... Chinese or of Chinese descent is huge to me because yeah. every other Asian like part or Asian movie that's been made through Hollywood it's been like as long as they are any kind of East Asian yeah, it yeah, doesn't yeah. matter right. then they're the right kind of Asian which is annoying especially when you grow up and like one of the big street harassment things that I get is people are like Ni Hao or whatever and it's like <laughs> I'm not Chinese yeah, yeah, yeah. and I res- it's not that I have anything against Chinese people but it's like right. that's not what my culture is right. and maybe you should know better at the same time, though, like, as far as street harassment is concerned, <laughs> like, even if they say, like, what's up in Korean, like, I don't know if that's That's still better. not great, <laughs> yeah. but it's like, well, all right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wow, like, uh, K-pop has really taken over the world. <laughs> They're street harassing yeah. in Korean now. <laughs> um, something you said uh, perked my interest a little bit because mm-hmm. uh, there was this uh, actress. Her name is Anna Akana, I think. She's uh she she got famous through YouTube, mm-hmm. but she was kind of upset that when they uh, made the Mulan live action yeah. movie, um, she couldn't audition for it because specific because I think she is uh, Japanese and some other uh, Asian mix, uh, yeah. not Chinese, and what Mulan the people who are making the live mm-hmm. action Mulan is like we only want specifically. Like hmm. Chinese actors, to, or as, uh, for at least this, the the title role Mulan. Like yeah. we want somebody specifically Chinese, uh, and she felt like, hey, you know, with Asians, it's like we don't even have that many Asian movies in Hollywood to mm. audition for, and now there's like another level that I can't even, yeah, uh, I guess access because I'm not like the right Asians. Like, how do you feel about that? Like just based off of the thing you said whereas like before Hollywood was like yeah. we'll take any Asian now yeah. they're like oh no wait we, we need to be a little bit more refined about yeah. it but then you're as a as an Asian actor it's <laughs> like oh great now yeah. like 
it's hard enough for Hollywood to accept me. And I was like, this is another wall. I don't know. It's really tough because there's a converse too. I remember like the Akira live action has mm -hmm. kind of been put off. And the rumor that I heard was that like, it was because they couldn't find any Japanese actors who were like good enough or whatever, I guess. And a lot of people were like, number one, it's insane that you would say that. That's not possible that you couldn't find anyone for this. Mm -hmm. And number two, other people were saying like this specific specificity is like, and coming Asian people were saying this, like this specificity is like putting us all back. Cause like you're cutting off opportunities for a lot of other Asian people. And it's like, I get both sides of the argument and I don't really know which one the right one is. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know either. I yeah. <laughs> uh, like, I see both. I, yeah. I see her her uh, point, but at the same time, it's like, but, you know, Mulan should be Chinese, I think. Yeah, I guess that's movie. the thing where it's like, if there was some movie about some Korean folk hero and they cast yeah. somebody who wasn't of Korean descent in that yeah. role, it would kind of suck. Yeah, I think it might have been a little bit different. Like, uh, I remember in the that Netflix movie, To All the Boys I Love. Yeah. It's like they took kind of just any <laughs> mix of Asian. And just they don't look related at yeah, all. Like they kind of match it together. Yeah. And I think that's one of those like That one I think you can get away with a little yeah. bit more because her being Asian uh, was a point, but it wasn't like the focal point. Like yeah. They weren't necessarily exploring any yeah. specific type of Asian cultures yeah. uh, in that regard. Uh, I don't know if that makes it better or worse. You know? <laughs> so, like, Hollywood's so goofy sometimes. <laughs> That's the hard. nicest way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to make up anything. All right. Uh, well, I think this is a good place to stop. I want to thank you very much again for uh, stopping by and talking to me. Uh, why don't you let the people know where they can find you? Sure. Um, and thank you so much for having me. This has really been really fun. And I <laughs> do feel like I did live up to the Bad Asians podcast name because it took me so long to email you back <laughs> in every sense. <laughs> you're, a, I, I, you're a busy person. All right? uh, <laughs> you don't have to make excuses for me. It's all right. Um, but yeah, uh, again, thank you so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Karen Y. Han, K-A-R-E-N-Y-H-A-N on, on Twitter, which I preceded it by saying whatever mm -hmm. um and i link to most of my work there but i'm also uh predominantly at polygon.com mm -hmm. no instagram uh i am on instagram but it's private oh <laughs> what are you hiding <laughs> so many secrets <laughs> all right uh thank you very much uh for being on this uh please follow our uh, podcast network at Listening Party Presents and at Canal Street Market on Instagram. Uh, you can find me at David Nguyen. You can find Enron at Enron the G. And then you can find the show at The Bad Asian Show on Instagram. All right. Thank you very much, everybody. Have a great day. Bye.